Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring the nature of the soul. My guest is my friend, Dr. Norman Sheely, who is the president of the Sheely Soren Wellness Center in Springfield, Missouri. He has 15 patents in energy medicine. He's published 36 books, over 350 scientific articles. His work focuses on comprehensive holistic management of pain, depression, anxiety, and chronic disease. He is the founding president of the American Holistic Medical Association. At the age of 87, he is still active in clinical work, writing, and doing research. And he's the recipient of a number of Lifetime Achievement Awards. His many books include Blueprint for Holistic Healing, Energy Medicine, The Illustrated Encyclopedia of Healing Remedies, Life Beyond 100, Living Bliss, Medical Intuition, Miracles Do Happen, Pony Wisdom for the Soul, Sacred Healing, and Conversations with G, which will be the subject of today's discussion. It's a very intimate autobiography of Dr. Sheely's spiritual and emotional life. Once again, this is an internet interview, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Now, today we're going to focus on your book, um, Conversations with G. And you know, there's so much in the book uh, that I thought a good way to sort of couch it for our viewers would be to say that we're going to talk about the soul. Good. That, to me, is, I think it's really essential for people to understand that we are the soul. <laughs> yeah, many times uh, I talk to people, even in the human potential movement, who will say, you are your body. <laughs> no, my body is a temporary embellishment, if you will, or experience of the soul. It's, as I, but I, I think I've, I think I've felt that all my life. You pretty much had, I guess, what I'd have to call a, a relatively conventional uh, American upbringing. It's not as if you were born into a metaphysical family. No, not at all. My father was a Baptist and my mother was a Methodist. And I chose the Methodist church because I preferred the kids there. <laughs> and, and I recall even uh, at the time of your marriage, you became an Episcopalian. Yeah, I, I've never been, you know, that sold on a particular brand of Christianity. And um, so I went through the full indoctrination, if you will. But then when we left Boston and moved to La Crosse, the Episcopal Church was much too rigid for us. So we, we actually became congregationalists. <laughs> I see. So at, at that point in your life, you're already embarking on your medical practice and you really hadn't had a, uh, I guess what I'd have to call a major uh, psychic or spiritual opening uh, at, at that point. 
That is true. As a matter of fact, although I had many what I call downloads, and I, all of my inventions just come out of the air, so to speak, uh, and so I had already developed uh, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation and spinal cord stimulation, but in 1972, I was at the first acupuncture meeting in this country, and somebody said, well, you really need to meet this, this other surgeon who thinks like you. It turned out he was doing what was called a week of attunement at the ARE, the Ed Casey Foundation in Virginia Beach. So I went down, and it, it did blow my mind, I have to say. I heard that in the afternoon there was going to be a past life therapy session with one of the participants. It was not part of the formal program, it was sort of on the side. And so I went down and watched this guy go through dying and screaming and yelling. And I said, well, I got to trust that. I got to try that. But but I can't do it in front of anybody else. I mean, suppose I was a prostitute in a Greek war camp. <laughs> and I, I probably was, but in those days I wouldn't have admitted it. And so I said to Lindsay, the wonderful man who introduced me to this, could I have a private session? And so we did it. And in that private session... I saw myself as a physician in Egypt 3,000 years ago in a cholera epidemic. And we finally solved the cholera epidemic by burning all the bodies. But the interesting thing about that session, my first past life, was my wife in that particular life that I saw was a former girlfriend from this life, and my son was a friend of mine from this life. That night... Joel Andrews, who is a transmedium harpist, gave a concert. So I'm sitting there with 200 people, and all of a sudden, I'm up on the ceiling looking down at 200 people. I have my first out-of-body experience. And that really was the beginning of what I would call opening my consciousness to, well, the entire psychic or intuitive world. Well, having an out-of-body experience is certainly, I would think, enough to convince you that you are not the same as your body. <laughs> I'll say, you know, I, I had heard about past life experiences, and I'd heard of, about out-of-body experiences, but that was my first one. And I've had several since then. In fact, in 1974, I was down in the Bahamas, and I go into trance very easily. So I, I wanted to see if I could be made amnesic while in a trance. So I asked Andrea Pahari to put me in a trance, and all of a sudden he said, okay, I want you to go visit Olga Worrell. And I literally saw Olga in her living room walk across and pick up a book and open it. So when I got home after that visit in the Bahamas, I called Olga, and the book in her living room was actually a book dedicated to me and my previous life <laughs> to this one. <laughs> and But that same time, I also visited my farm, saw my kids coming home from school, and I'm out of body watching them walk home, etc. So I've had other experiences since then. Well, it's uh, amazing that uh, you had a very conventional life up until a certain point, and then after that, one unusual experience after another. 
That is true. And so after that first experience in September of 72, I said, I got to meet a psychic, you know, Casey's long dead. And so two friends in Virginia Beach, Genevieve Haller, a wonderful chiropractor, and her husband both suggested I visit Henry Rucker. So I made an appointment to go to Chicago on December 19th. I flew to Chicago, and I walked in, and Henry says, I've been waiting 10 years for, for you. My teacher told me you would come. And Henry knew more about me than I did. Well, and that you've had other experiences like that that you write about where you meet somebody for the very first time and it's as if you've known them already in previous lifetimes. Absolutely. And in fact, I, I had had that experience long before not recognizing it as a past life, but just a familiarity. In fact, that's how I met my wife. I went. To, I was going to Boston for my neurosurgical residency. I only knew one person in Boston. We had interned together at Duke. So I wrote and I said, David, I don't know anybody else, but we were pretty good friends when we were interns. Would you like to share an apartment? He said, sure. So he was dating Shardy. And I was jealous. <laughs> but I knew that he was Jewish and would never marry a shukster. So after a couple of months, I said, David, I know you'll never marry Shardy, but I might. I would like you to stop dating her so that I can. <laughs> and he waited a month and he said, okay, uh, I'll stop, but you cannot date her for one month. Okay. Now, but of course, nobody tells Shardy any of this. So I started calling every night for a month. I phoned her. And on my birthday, December 4th, 1958, we had our first date, and we were engaged on January 10th. A month later, after your first date, you got engaged. Yeah. That's, that's one w would have to say that's pretty quick, but you, I believe you were married for over half a century. 52 years, and of course, in my opinion, the wisest thing I've ever done in his life. Um, but And there's no question, I knew Shardy, at a soul level. Well, one of the things um, that I gleaned from your book is that uh, we come into this physical existence having made certain agreements about what, uh, what we're going to accomplish in this lifetime. Yes, my understanding, and again, this is from my, con my conversation with Henry, who was a wonderful spiritual counselor and spiritual healer, but also with my own guide, whom I met uh, in 1984. But basically, we have a need at a soul level to advance, if you will. And so I think our angelic guides or a council of guides says, okay, well, they don't call me Norman, that woman, whatever they call you. Uh, you need to learn this. And these are your choices. And, and we, at, a, at some kind of soul level, we choose. Now, I don't understand how we would choose, because I'm sure we're not given all the details, to choose to go into an abusive family. But maybe at some soul level, we are paying off karma. Maybe that's why we choose abuse. At any rate, I often say, and, and this is one of my favorite statements, I did not have the courage in this life to choose abusive parents. I was over-nurtured, and I'd rather be over-nurtured than under-nurtured. But both my mother and my father were ideal parents for me. 
Mm -hmm. But you did have to confront some very serious physical issues, health issues in your life. Oh, yes. Uh, and, and at least one of those is unequivocally karmic. That's the one in 1995 when I was paralyzed. A physician from Canada had his life suspended for healing with his hands and his hot hands. So he came down uh, to get me to write him a letter for approval that he was okay. And I said, show me your hot hands. So he put his hands on my head like this and jerked my neck 180 degrees and literally paralyzed me. I mean, I within 24 hours, I was on the operating table having open surgery. My spinal cord was 50% compressed from a dislocated spine at C7-T1. At the time, my first thought was I must have cut off his head in a previous life. <laughs> but I later learned unequivocally that in one of my 30 lives that I know about, I was not a very nice guy. I, oh, I often say I was sort of a Saddam Hussein of the time, several hundred years ago. And I had him killed because he was trying to take over. And so, to me, I hope I've served my karma with him. And thanks to my neurosurgical colleague, Dr. John Collis, I recovered from that particular incident. Well, it's interesting. In your past life memories, you, you report uh, several uh, memories that you've had of uh, in which you have to say you had accumulated some negative karma because of your behavior. Exactly. No question about it. And I hope, you know, my, my number one goal, if you will, in this life is to release all of the negative karma that I can and, and to accumulate only good karma for the future. Yeah. Well, you've spent your entire life as a healer. Well, and, and, you know, that came to me naturally at age four. Out of the blue, in a family which had no physicians ever, I announced to my parents, I'm going to become a physician. And by the time I was 16, I knew that I wanted to be a neurosurgeon because I really was fascinated with the brain. And I've never lost that feeling that I came here to do this. And in fact, since you recall having been a surgeon in ancient Egypt, it, it suggests that this is uh, something you've done over many lifetimes. And you also refer to Eliotson. That is right. I, in my immediate past life, uh, I introduced mesmerism into London. And I demonstrated, I mesmerized the patients for other people to operate upon them uh, in London. And in my life just before that, uh, I was a physician in this country and a signer of the Declaration of Independence. How uh, would you say, did most of these past life memories come to you through regression hypnosis? I've had about 12 sessions with good uh, past life therapists. The others have come quite spontaneously. Uh -huh. One of my favorites, of course, is about 30-some-odd years ago, I suddenly just, I saw as real as I see you now, myself walking with St. Francis of Assisi in the foothills of Assisi. And in 2005, I gave a talk at a medical meeting in Canada, and out of the audience, we, I wasn't talking about reincarnation, I was talking about medical stuff, but at the end of my talk, the reincarnated St. Francis came down because he recognized me as one of his companions. 
And we're standing there in front of 200 people <laughs> embracing and crying. <laughs> and obviously we become good friends again in this light. So then, that was 2005, somewhere over the next eight years, I met two other people who spontaneously, at the moment of seeing them, I knew were what I call companions with St. Francis. So in June of 2015, we, the three of us, flew to Assisi, not with St. Francis, not the reincarnate, just the, the, the two old companions. And, you know, Jeff, that was, that was to me heaven that week. We spent our time in the cathedrals, and it was just the most glorious experience. And in the basement of the Franciscan Cathedral, way up in the wall, there's an open area, and his casket is there. On the floor are four blast plates of the four closest companions. And I know which one I was. I was Father Rufino in that life. And, uh, but Mark and Patrick were also there. So when I got home from that meeting, within a couple of days, I had been invited up to St. Louis, uh, up to Kansas City, uh, to attend a, a, a workshop on sound and music in therapy. And I walked in the room and giving the workshop with my old friend was Sergei Soren. I immediately recognized him as another companion. I rushed into this man I've never seen in this life before, hugged him. His wife is sitting in the audience. She said to her friend, I think I've just lost my husband. <laughs> but Sergei and I both felt this connection immediately. And so within nine months of our meeting, he moved from Rochester, New York, to join me in my practice here in Springfield. And his wife and I are friends too, by the way. And and so he's currently your partner in your medical practice. And I had way back in the early, you know, the late 90s to early to 2000, I kept looking, you know, I was getting old enough, I wanted to find a physician to take over. I interviewed a hundred physicians, and they were nice wimps, but they just didn't have the oomph. I turned every one of them down. Sergey is the first physician. Now, we're not alike by any means. We are very different people, but we like one another, fortunately, despite that. And he's the first one who's got, to me, the testosterone to do it. <laughs> and so I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted that he is my medical partner now. Well, what you're describing is, it seems to me, it's very unique. It's where you recognize a person as someone with whom you've had a soul connection from a previous lifetime, and they simultaneously have the same recognition. Exactly. And and that has happened to me. Well, I, you know, I, I suppose that's happened thirty or four times. 30 or more times. It's something that modern science ha has no handle on whatsoever. By no standard whatsoever. Interestingly, I know that my wife and I, for instance, have been together at least three times before. We were, in fact, the only time my whole family has been together was 2,000 years ago. I was actually a member of whatever you call the ruling. You know, I was a senator in Rome. Shardy was my wife, 
And my two sons and my daughter were our children in that life. And in that life, they, they the boys heard about Jesus and wanted to go off and, you know, see this person. They didn't come home. So I flew, oh, I flew, I, I sailed <laughs> to uh, Jerusalem. And I got there just as Christ was put on the cross. And I'm, you know, I tried to interfere with the soldiers and they killed me. That was the end of that life. You know, it reminds me that uh, we have a, a mutual friend, Buck Charlson, the late Buck Charlson, who uh, confided to me at one time he believed himself to have been uh, the Roman Emperor Claudius, who was alive at roughly that time frame. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm being honest now, and I, I do want to mention one other of my not-so-good lives. I, again... Uh, in 2000, in 1974, I asked, uh, Andrea Pahari to put me in trance to see if I could become amnesic. Well, he, I didn't become amnesic. Again, I'm at, I had an out of body experience. I'm sitting up on the ceiling watching him. And all of a sudden, he asked me to go back in time. And I saw this black hooded individual an executioner for the Roman Catholic Church, killing people, cutting off their heads. Now, at the time, I I said, Andre, I didn't do that. You did that. I thought he had hypnotized me, you know, and put, put it. Well, one of my very good psychic intuitive friends, uh, Norman, that was you. <laughs> So there's one of my other negative karmas that I hope to work off forever and ever and ever. I can't imagine for the church or anyone else that I would do that. Well, and I, and I presume if we're talking, let's say, the period of the Inquisition, that uh, this would have been after the life of having been a companion of St. Francis. That the other And the other bad one, where I had the guy killed was after the life of St. Francis. So you could go from saint to sinner. Exactly. Now, I pray in this entire life that I finish with my sinning lives. The three that I know about are enough. I don't want any more. I, I, re, I turn them over to the hands of God. That's, you know, when I'm working with patients who have unfinished business, my most important thing is, are you ready to release this into the hands of God? I think you have to forgive yourself and ask God to take over. From a human perspective, uh, we see good and evil. But from uh, a perspective of the creator of everything, meaning the creator of both good and evil, even evil has some purpose here. Well, I think it's true. Uh, you know, in other words, there are, let's face it, Christ as far as we know, was as close to perfect as a human being can be. But most of us need a lot of work on perfection. Even though I think I've done a lot of good in this life, and I don't know that I've done any harm, I hope I haven't, uh, I don't feel by any means perfect. And my pray, my prayer every day is that I have only one purpose in life to help other people. 
That's all it is. And I believe that for everybody. Now I want to, I want to make, I, I, when I'm talking with my patients about this, I want, I, I, I use this kind of thing. Whoever made this pen, to me, is at least as important as I am. The person who made this sweater, this shirt, this tie, the person who painted this wall, thank heavens for those people who painted this wall, who put in the carpet and those. So anything that you do that helps other people, from my point of view, is a good and spiritual gift. Now, if you do it with a grudge, if you do it with anger or whatever, then obviously you're building up some kind of karma. But my entire awareness since 1972 particularly has been every day of my life, I want to be certain I only do good. I can't disagree with a, a word that you, you've said there, Norm, which reminds me, um, since we're talking about the soul, uh, you in your book, you point out that uh, I think it's one of your companions from the St. Francis life was also a, a Vedic astrologer. I, I, that is true. Yes, Mark. Mark and I have discussed this at some length. He actually is a computer nerd also, by the way, but he is a Vedic astrologer, lives in California. And, uh, you know, and I'm a big astrology buff. I've read astrology since I was 16. At the time when I was reading religious and spiritual things, I also began reading about astrology. And for instance, uh, I mean, I've read several books, to say the least, on this subject. Uh, Linda Goodman is one of my favorites. Um, Love Signs. She makes fun of each of us. Now, for you and me, it's, you see that fellow over there with the big foot in his mouth? That's a Sagittarian. <laughs> and I often say that, that's the characteristic of a Sagittarian. We are blocked. Well, I think it's interesting that you and I share the same uh, birthday. So our, our position of our natal sons would be almost identical. That is true. And I've met one other person who also has a December 4th. And so anytime I meet someone who's a Sagittarius, I say, oh, you lucky thing. You know, if you're good in this life, they'll let you come back next time as a Sag. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I realized since you published your chart in, in your book is that we both have Libra rising. Exactly. And that, of course, is the need for justice and fairness. Yeah, it's very strong uh, uh, in me. Balance. Yeah. Well, we have to we we have to try to balance these things because in today's world, I have doubts about justice and fairness. But that's another subject. The, the main thread of your book is about your conversations with G. G appeared to you as as an angelic guide, and you you talk about your own personal guide. Who is not G? It's a different angel that, and you even refer to having a team of angels that you worked with for many, many years. Exactly. This all happened suddenly in December, nineteen eighty-four. I mean, I I've always been a sound sleeper, and I go to bed early. I mean, eight or nine o'clock is my bedtime. At midnight, I awoke and. I couldn't go back to sleep, so I go to my, because I suddenly began hearing voices. And I had 18 different voices that were specifically different. And that's where I met Muriel, my own personal angel. 
but uh, the others were just giving me different messages. And it was very near that time, by the way, when I also met G, whom I call my guide. Um, and G has told me he is not my personal angel, he is just my teacher. So you actually uh, engage in conversations that you hear a voice or you you have an inner conversation with G. Exactly. And I have, I would say, at least hundreds of pages of handwritten notes that, uh, uh, you know, account for our conversations. And I have four patterns that are the result of his giving me specific information that I could then prove and actually apply for a patent. Well, Norman, this has been a delightful conversation. I know we could go into much more detail, but we've covered everything from out-of-body experiences to astrology and uh, spirit communication. Um, let me mention one more thing, though, that caught my eye in reading your book, which is at one point after you'd had all of these extensive conversations with G, I, I gather that you got the message that the conversations were going to stop, that there was a point at which you no longer needed to converse. You would just know. That is true. And I have to say, my intuition for creating gadgets and things has, has been there a long time. But some of these unusual things, like, for instance, the development of what I call transcutaneous acupuncture, that was sudden. So a lot of my stuff comes that kind of intuitive. I sometimes feel as if Shardy gave me the nudge the day after she passed, but I don't know. I want to. I, will, I would like to tell you, may I tell you one more story? Yes. Two, two and a half years ago, I was in Connecticut giving a workshop. The people took me out to lunch, the five of us. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I start crying. I got a download. I won't mention the name, but one of my grandchildren, I got this message, will be the reincarnation of my wife. I, you know, I, I just dissolved. My keys disappeared out of my pocket. My, my car keys, which I carried with me. I got back home. Two weeks later, Morris Netherton, wonderful past life therapist, came to teach a course. He sits down, we're drinking a glass of wine, and I, I said, Morris, I want to tell you what happened. No, he, he said, first let me tell you what happened. Two weeks ago, the same day, I'm sitting in my backyard, and Shardy came to visit. And she said, Morris, I've got a message for Norm, and it's about this grandchild. And she disappeared. So I started telling him the message, and my keys, Morris and I see my keys appear right here in midair and drop to the floor. An airport. Yeah. Uh-huh. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, well, to me, I can hardly wait for this grandchild to get married. <laughs> but we'll see. But that's the kind of thing that happens. Well, you know, you conclude your book on a very important point. You talk about love. And if, if I remember correctly, you say that's really why we're here in the first place. Yes. And my favorite, favorite statement is, love is the desire to do good to others. From the Urantia book. Norman Sheely, what a great pleasure to have these conversations with you.
Thank you so much for being with me. Well, as always, my dear friend, bless you. Thank you. Peace. And for those of you watching this interview, thank you for being with us. Thank you.